Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast, Thursday morning, November 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I've got a very pressing question for you. I don't even like our intro music, to be honest with you, and so I need to get your opinion on that. Do we need new intro music? Because I can have producer Jordan find us some new intro music. We cannot legally use Fleetwood Mac. I've been told that, and that's okay. I do want to meet with the band down the road and at least negotiate. But until that point, there's plenty of royalty-free music out there that we can use. Plus, I think since we're CBS, we can actually afford to pay a few dollars for music. Should we switch? That's just what I want to Should we switch? Because I think yes, but I don't really drive the show. It's your show. And specifically on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, this is a mailbag, which means it's really your show. And we're going to dive into the mailbag this morning. If you want to get in touch, very simple, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. The numbers have been steadily growing, and I really appreciate that. At Late Kick Josh. Also, as you found in the world of betting, for example, it's supremely important that you're following me there. Ramen Noodle Express is already 2-0 on the week, guys. We did not wait until Saturday. I told you the new philosophy on the Ramen Noodle Express. We are not just going to cherry pick a few games. Now, that's been my modus operandi, but our model has been killing it this year. You wouldn't know it, though, because the picks that I've handed out are right around 500. I've limited it to about five, six, maybe seven during the week. Not this week. We've already got six on the board. I'm going to add some more today. We're already 2-0 on the week, so you got to be able to follow on Twitter or Instagram to get that because some of those games are happening even before we do our Tuesday show. Uh, what else? Looking forward to heading to College Station Saturday. Going to be out there for Auburn at Texas A&M. Some of you have asked, so I'll just answer it here. Yes, I do have fresh Academy gift cards. Yes, they are free. And yes, they will be first come, first serve. So if you see me walking around out there in College Station, then by all means, say, uh, excuse me, here's the code. <clears throat> Go like this right here. Hey, give me an Academy gift card. Okay, well, that's it. You may say please, but please give me an Academy gift card, and I'll give you one if I still have them. They go pretty fast. They go pretty fast because here's the thing I've learned about not just our audience, but humans. When you have something that is free and there actually is not a string attached to it, it goes really, really fast, and I don't blame you. So with those pleasantries out of the way, let us dive in this morning. I am looking... As we dive into the first question or set of questions, I'm looking at the updated podcast charts that I get sent to me, and wow, wow, I don't know how you guys do it. You continue to amaze me. We are in rarefied air. We have no business being in, so I appreciate it. And so uh, let me not waste your time. How about that? Let's dive in. The reward is I shut up and get to your questions very, very quickly. Several of you have asked about the playoff rankings, okay? But that's already 48 hours old. We've already spoken a whole lot about the playoff rankings. But a lot of you specifically asked uh, kind of a version of, do you think there's bias here? You know, Do you think there's pro-Alabama bias? 
do you think that the committee are haters of Cincinnati? And so I wanted to touch on that and to kind of just take all those questions and roll them up into a great big ball and try and throw you the best answer I can. I think every human has a bias of some kind. I think everybody in college football has a bias of some kind. I do, you do, everyone does. Now, my bias is largely correlated with this show. It is in my best interest and in the show's best interest for the bigger teams to win. It's good for me if Florida's winning. It's good for me if Ohio State's winning. It's good for me. You get the picture. Now, it is also not what drives my particular passion, as evidenced by the fact that we went to Iowa State in week two this year. I love the idea that we could be headed to somewhere like Baylor next week. And so I do not eat, sleep, live, and breathe just brand names. Although I do know when they win, it's really good for the show because more people care about the bigger programs. And that, by the way, guys, from a psychological standpoint, doesn't just mean the fan bases. When I look at our numbers and I talk about a particular program and you can dive in a little bit and you get some smart analytics sent to you, you watch things about Alabama, even if you're not an Alabama fan. That's the key. The key for those big TV ratings you see, it's not just fans of the teams. It's the polarization of those brands. It's the New York Yankee effect. It is you either love them or you hate them, but there's no indifference. In college football, when I say University of Alabama, you either have a passion one way, you love them, or you have a disdain the other way, you hate them. And that's the key. That's the moneymaker. If you ever wonder where those big TV executives are looking, if you ever wonder where their biases are, it's to the polarizing brands. It's not just the brands that are adored. They want the polarization. It's like the Boston Red Sox back in the day. I remember when it was the early 2000s. Some of you lived through this. I could not stand it. I grew up an Atlanta Braves fan, obvi. Imagine not being a world champion this morning. Couldn't be me. Anyway, I remember in the early 2000s, ESPN... The New York Yankees have always been big. ESPN's located in Bristol, Connecticut, places crawling with Red Sox fans. And so they started to try and build the Red Sox in the early 2000s to being presented as on par with the New York Yankees. Well, the Boston Red Sox are not on par with the New York Yankees. There is no brand in American baseball that is. It's not their fault. just is what it is. But they started trying to present it as such. Well, I remember realizing it. And I, I know a lot of you realized it. You were very smart to it. And the problem is the Boston Red Sox, up until that point, they had been likable. You know, they were the punching bag up in the Northeast. They were the team, if you were from Georgia like me, they were the team with the cool left field wall. And then they were also the team that lost all the time. And therefore, they were easy to root for. But then when a national sports network started to try and manufacture an image in front of me of that brand that wasn't authentic, I revolted. And so certainly I grew up like every child worth his or her salt in the South being taught to hate the Yankees. I'd actually pull for New York when they played for Boston, not because of Boston, but because of ESPN. So that's how I grew up. Anyway, you don't have to do that is the point. There are enough brands out there in any kind of sporting ecosystem, college football included, that elicit that kind of emotion authentically from fans that you don't have to try and manufacture that love and that villatrol. It just is there. So when it comes to a committee member, the hate and the bias, well, sure, it's there. Do I think it's influencing decision-making? I can't dismiss it as a possibility. I certainly think there may be some of that. Uh, how much does it weigh in? I think you and I somewhat would disagree. Judging by the emails that I've gotten, judging by the correspondence I've had with you guys, a lot of you are convinced it is 
totally and completely controlling the process. And I don't believe that. I really don't. I think a lot of times I think I'm jaded towards that concept because I've heard it about media. I've heard it, for instance, about my show. I've heard it about other shows. And when I was growing up, I used to think the same thing. I used to think that person works for that network. Therefore, they have to say that because that network has a contract with this conference, etc. It never works that way. That's never actually happening. Everyone thinks that's happening. It's not happening. There's never been an executive at CBS in the history of me working here who's ever told me to say a thing about the SEC. Never told me to say a thing about this week's SEC on CBS Game of the Week better lead your show. Nobody does that. It doesn't work that way. And so I'm saying that because I think a lot of that same kind of false perception exists about the committee. There's this image that you conjure up in your mind sometimes of these decisions being made in a poorly lit, smoky back room somewhere, and there's this big grand plan drawn up on a board, and it looks like basically the Zodiac Killer investigation. And we've got this brand over here and this team over here, and we got 47 different lines connecting which way we want this to go and that to go. And here's why we need to rank this team at 16, because this team at four is going to play this team at 16, and we need to artificially enhance their resume down the stretch. A lot of people think it happens that way. I don't. I do not think it happens that way. You can disagree reasonably with someone's opinion and just stop there. It's happened before. You can disagree with someone and then that's it. Sun goes down on the day and we just agree to disagree. But you don't always have to take the added step of I disagree with you and you've got some sinister ulterior motive in play. It doesn't always have to be that way. Sometimes it is that way. Maybe you're right and I'm wrong. Maybe it is the case here. I don't find it to be the case. Here's how I choose to look at it. Because I'm not telling you I agree 1 through 25 with this committee's initial rankings. I mean, I had some things that I had minor pushback on. You know my general theory on this is it is foolish to get worked up over an initial playoff ranking release, knowing you don't have full bodies of work to judge. But that's old. That's kind of cliched. Everyone says that to try and sound smarter than the room. So I'm not smarter than the room, so I don't want to try and sound like it even. But my general thought on this is I don't agree with everything they put out the other night, but I do think I can just say, I kind of disagree with that. And that's the end. I haven't taken that added step. Here's a more logic-based approach. I would recommend it 10 times out of 10, at least to a longer, healthier, happier life. What are the odds that some entity is going to put out a list of rankings on something that's subjective and you're going to agree top to bottom? The odds are nil. That committee was never going to be able to put out a list of rankings that you said, yep, I agree, top to bottom, we're good. That's not the way that ever is going to work. So you're setting yourself up. If you believe that at the slightest difference in opinion between you and them, it's got to be that there is an ulterior motive with them, you're setting yourself up to just be mad on internet guy. Don't be mad on internet guy. You can be a guy who's mad and has access to internet without being mad on internet guy. Now, that kind of addresses the bias in the pro department. But what about the haters? The haters, that's probably in a two-to-one ratio what I was asked about most. Is is the committee made up of haters of Cincinnati? No, I don't think they are. Because if that's the case, that makes me a hater of Cincinnati because I think Cincinnati's properly ranked. I put them about where the committee had them. Well, I know good and well I'm not a hater. Like, I've searched my heart up and down, and I know I'm not a hater of Cincinnati. So how could I possibly not hate Cincinnati and also have undefeated Cincinnati in the 6-7 to range? 
Well, it's because I think that's where they deserve to be right now. They don't have as strong a schedule. I've given you my theory long ago on strength of schedule and how there's a certain baseline you have to hit or you put a very low ceiling on your potential. Cincinnati, I wouldn't have cared if they put them three or four, to be clear. I would not have cared. But I think they're ranked just about right. Doesn't always make you a hater is the only thing I'm saying. You can think less of something that I think more of. It doesn't automatically make you a hater of that something. That's all I'm saying. And as I've said many times over the past 48 hours, I don't think this is the end of the world for Cincinnati because I don't think the upsets are over. So as long as the upsets aren't done happening and Cincinnati avoids upsets of their own, I think there's going to be a path. It's not a wide path. It's never going to be a wide path for G5 teams. You never wake up at the beginning of the year thinking anything other than we're going to need help to get in as a G5 team. You call that unfair. I would counter with this. How's it fair for Auburn? How's it fair for Auburn to sit there or Arkansas, pick one of these SEC West teams, to look at Cincinnati and be told, hey, you guys play the same sport. Do we? Really? You seen these schedules? Well, yeah, but you are what your record says you are. You know, if you're undefeated, you got to be put in. Well, if I'm an Auburn fan, if I'm an Arkansas fan, I think to myself, uh, if I played Cincinnati's schedule, I would be undefeated. If I played Cincinnati's schedule, instead of having to play Alabama and Texas A&M and Arkansas and Ole Miss and Mississippi State, oh, I went to Penn State just for good measure. Or if you're Arkansas, you played Texas at home just for good measure. You may think that's not worth anything. Now, when they played, Texas was undefeated and had their hair on fire, thinking all the world was in front of them. That matters. That matters to the quality of team you play and the pushback they give you. It matters when you play those teams early in the season. I know that's a little bit too much context sometimes for the old committee. They just want to know, well, let's look at the teams you played. What is their record now? All right, well, that's who you played. No, no. The the Texas that has long since fallen off right now or the Florida team that's long since fallen off right now, those are not the teams that Arkansas and Alabama, respectively, played earlier in the year. They're not. They're not. I know that takes a lot more nuance and context and understanding of how this sport works, and we don't always have time. Normally, this stuff works in sound bites and snapshots and tweets and whatnot. I get it. Uh, that's why I don't partake in a whole lot of it, even though I've spent the first portion of the podcast talking about it. But that's what I would say to anyone saying it's unfair. Well, I'd tell you it's unfair that in a game and a sport with this much variance in strength of schedule, I'd say it's unfair that we just think record is the end-all be-all. Or maybe you're suggesting record should be the end-all be-all. I'm telling you, I think I'd have your same record or have a really good shot at it if I played your schedule. I don't think you'd be anywhere close to having your record if you played my schedule. Now, the Cincinnati's of the world, they come back and say, it's not our fault. We don't make our schedule. We just have to play who we play. Well, that's true. It's not your fault, but it's not my fault. Like, who, whose fault is it? Why does it have to be anyone's fault? Now, my answer to this has always been, let me have a G5 playoff. But I always get pushed back on that. So I've tabled it. Like, that's the solution. I mean, that's the easy solution to this. Have a Power 5 playoff and a G5 playoff. No, we don't want that, though. We want to put all of them together in the same room. Well, there is not room for logic that falls in line with an equality in scheduling. There is no room for that logic because we don't have equal scheduling, not even close to it. <sighs> all right, well... I definitely cleared my mind of any and all thoughts on that matter. Here is Jeff. Jeff wants to know a simple thing. Jeff wants to know what's wrong with Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma is 9-0. and Yeah, they're undefeated right now. They are ranked top 10 in the playoff rankings. And so if you were to tell someone who's totally agnostic about college football, they just kind of check over here every now and then, 
that there's something wrong with Oklahoma, that person would say, there's nothing wrong with Oklahoma. Look, they got a goose egg in the loss column. They've won their rivalry game against Texas already in spectacular come-from-behind fashion. They are ranked top 10 in the playoff rankings. Everything's in front of them. What do you mean something's wrong? Well, Jeff says there's something wrong. Jeff's not alone. Not putting Jeff out on Jeff Island because Jeff is not alone. There are a lot of tourists on that island right now. Not the kind of tourists that we speak of in a pejorative context on this show, but tourists nonetheless. There are a lot of folks in that room that think the same thing Jeff thinks. So what's wrong with Oklahoma? Well, I would say preseason is what's wrong with Oklahoma because I want you to answer me a question. What's the difference in Michigan State and Oklahoma right now? Let me just let you think. Let's let it sizzle, sizzle, sizzle. Uh, what's the difference? Well, obviously they haven't played the same schedule, but let's just, for the sake of broad strokes argument, let's just say they've both played a schedule. They both played reasonably competent competition. They're both undefeated. What's the difference? The difference is what you expected in the preseason. That's the difference because that is framing how you view these teams right now. Michigan State is one of the best stories in college football, and I agree. Oklahoma has the same record. Yet you are viewing them as gross underachievers and you're punishing them or the committee is all the way down at where were they seven or eight or something like that. Uh, What's the difference? I think the difference is in preseason perception. If you would have expected Oklahoma results from Michigan State and Oklahoma's win total would be four and Oklahoma had all these close wins, you know what you'd do? You'd ignore the margin of victory. You wouldn't care because they weren't supposed to win games anyway. And so you wouldn't have held them to as lofty a standard. I guarantee you, you know, if Oklahoma's win total had been four, like Michigan State's was, if Oklahoma had not been expected to win the Big 12, if they would have been picked to finish fifth in the Big 12, and they were where they are right now, they actually would probably be ranked higher than they currently are in the playoff rankings. Now, if you want to ask me if that's fair, no, it's really not. And if you want to ask me if I believe in that kind of bias or conspiracy, yeah, yeah, I kind of do. It's not really going to hurt Oklahoma. It's probably going to help them. If Lincoln Riley were watching that playoff rankings reveal show the other night, he had to be ecstatic that they put Oklahoma down where they are. Because Oklahoma doesn't have a loss. If they had a loss, it'd be different. If, If Oklahoma had a loss already, that may be you perceiving it as the committee just put a ceiling on how high we can climb. No, if Oklahoma wins out, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. Also, now you get to use the thing that I don't really like you using, but you're going to have to use it anyway. And the whole disrespect angle and they're doubting us and they don't believe in us and it's us against the world. And that's stuff that never really lasts. It's like a sugar high, but sometimes you have to use it because you have no other alternative and Lincoln Riley's probably at that point in trying to motivate this team to play well out of the gate he'll probably have to use it and it'll probably be effective Oklahoma's going to come out and splatter someone in the coming weeks and afterwards players are going to tell you well the committee told us we were ranked this and we just had to go prove to the world we're better than that but look here's the deal with Oklahoma they've still got time Ohio State is this way Bama's this way and Bama and Ohio State are already playing really good football but these are offenses with Really, really high-end potential. I don't know if you want to say elite, but I'm just going to say really, really high-end potential. And I don't think any of the three have fully maximized their potential yet. I'm really excited to see what Oklahoma looks like in the last month of the year. They're going to play some really good defenses, some really good ones. Alabama is coming out of the bye week, about to play LSU. You may not get the best gauge on it, but you'll get a fairly good gauge of what Alabama's offense is going to be the rest of the way. Ohio State, I'm excited to watch what they're going to turn into offensively because I'm telling you, this is my concern with Georgia. My concern with Georgia is for them to win a championship, they're going to have to beat Alabama, 
or Ohio State or maybe both, and Oklahoma could be in there. And I'm telling you, I just know how the sport works. You do too. We watch it every year. At least two, if not all three of those teams are going to play their best offensive football in November and in the playoff. That's coming. So they're going to be performing at a level equal to or higher than you've seen them so far. Those are programs that build to peak at the right time. And my concern with Georgia and with Stetson Bennett, it's never been about September or October or November. I'm asking myself, can they win two or three games like that where someone can score on them? Not 45, but make no mistake, as great as I think Georgia's defense is, those teams are going to score on Georgia. They're going to score more than they're comfortable with giving up. Let me say it that way. And that means Georgia's going to have to depend on being able to score and not just score out of convenience. That's been my concern with them. And that's where my interest is with Ohio State and with Alabama. How good are they going to be offensively? Because that directly correlates to what is Georgia going to have to be able to do as the top team in the country to counter that. But I'll tell you what I counter that entire point with, and that is an ad break for our fine partners. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Got it in there. I got it in there. The compliment that I probably take the most pride in is I have developed a reputation in and around the old college football alternate media industry of having the smoothest ad transitions possible. I want it to sneak up on you like a tiger at night in the tall grass. I don't want you to know the ad break's coming. And then all of a sudden, I want you to be like 10 seconds in before you realize, wait a second, that's not even him. This is recorded. If I've done that, I have done my job. If I've done that, I have accomplished everything I set to accomplish when I woke up this morning. Rolling on... Justin wanted to know about Manny Diaz. He said, what are your thoughts on Manny Diaz? Will he be back next year from Miami? Look, this is an evolving situation. At least perceptionally, it's evolving because two weeks ago, we thought he was about to be fired. And now all of a sudden, we're talking about him having a little bit more leash, maybe a little bit more leeway than we thought he had. Now, of course, that comes after back-to-back wins. So let's not discount that. What I make is the whole Manny Diaz situation at Miami is the reason why I do not jump the gun on calling for people to be fired. It's why you'd never hear me say it. I'm not saying it about Dan Mullen right now. I didn't say it about Manny Diaz. 
It's because it's so fickle. In Major League Baseball, they play 162 games. In college, we play 12. So in baseball, you can afford to go on six or seven game losing streaks and still win a World Series, for all you know. In football, every win and every loss is treated like a season. And you're judged based off of that one four-quarter result. And the bottom line, if you've ever played the sport or you've observed the sport at a more fundamental level, you know how many moving parts there are in play. And you know how fine the line is between winning and losing sometimes. And so what I'm always asking myself, before I ever think it's time to fire someone, is are we truly at a point of no return? If we're not, uh, you may still want to make a move, but you better be sure. And you better have a solid plan in place. Don't be firing someone and then not be able to bring in who you need to bring in. Or don't be firing someone if you're not willing to also make internal changes to where the next person is more likely to succeed than the previous person. Well, it's not always thought out that thoroughly, because sometimes there are knee-jerk reactions. Well, at Miami, it looked for all the world like when Blake James, the AD down there, came out a few weeks ago and did not commit to Diaz being there in 2022. A lot of folks around the Miami program took that to mean if he loses a game, he's fired. Then they went... And they, they won 31-30, to 30, and then they go and they beat Pitt in upset fashion on the road this last week. And now all of a sudden the talk is, well, Manny Diaz, barring something extremely unforeseen, he's going to be able to finish the year. But also some of the talk, I think it was Manny Navarro over on The Athletic, uh, wrote a very lengthy piece earlier this week about how maybe Manny Diaz isn't in as much trouble. Maybe the AD there is. Maybe Manny Diaz has the support, but, 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 and it was a big one on the end, but if they do have to make a move, finances are not going to be an issue. Now, this is the important part to the Miami equation, and this is the important part to anyone out there because I've talked to some people across the country around folks who may be considered for the Miami job this year and last year, and the pushback was always, Miami's not a good job. It's not nearly as good a job as a lot of folks think it is because you don't know the inside. If you were to be able to see the inside, the support's not there. Well, they know that. To Miami's credit, at least by the words coming out of their mouth down there, they know that. And so when I'm reading that piece and I see finances aren't going to be an issue, and it's tied to the profit that the health program there makes, and not just what revenue football generates, well, that's a game changer. Donna Shalala was the former president down there, and her philosophy was, we're only going to put into football what football brings in. So we're not taking money from somewhere else to support athletics with, football and the like. Well, the new approach seems to be, no, we're going to take money from the university if that's what we need to do in order to prop the football program up. Now, if that's the case, then that is an absolute game changer. And all of a sudden, my focus shifts. It's not just, can Manny Diaz win now with that at his fingertips? Because here's what the argument for Manny Diaz is. Manny Diaz has young players impacting the program positively. That's a reflection on his recruiting. You got a bunch of young guys from this last recruiting class. You got Tyler Van Dyke, who is a quarterback he brought in via recruiting instead of the transfer portal after King went down, and he's playing better than King was, to be frank. And so the, the promise there is, well, Manny's kids are starting to shine, so once more of his kids are on the field and the locker room has not left him, they're fully bought in. Once all that coalesces into a better product on the field, then he'll be okay. That's the pro-Manny Diaz argument. But I'll say this, just to go full devil's advocate for you. At this point, if Manny Diaz were to lose his job this year, next year, if the state of affairs at Miami is such that they're willing to spend money from the university's coffers instead of just football, that's a game changer for Miami. So I know that's not going to impact this week's game or next week's game, but pay attention to that because that's big. 
And that goes back to the Dan Mullen thing, too. Dan Mullen's been in position where Miami's been down, Florida State's been down, and they still at Florida haven't fully taken advantage of it. Well, Miami's not staying down forever, guys. Florida State's not staying down forever. And so if I'm Scott Strickland, if I'm the administration there at Florida, I'm paying attention to that. If my guy can't get it done when the two other big boys in state are down, then why would I ever expect him to all of a sudden catch fire down the road when they certainly won't be any worse than they have been and they may be a whole lot better than they have been? All right, I wanted to wait for the tail end. Some of you were asking, <laughs> somebody asked, somebody asked, why does it seem like every college football person I follow is a Braves fan? Well, the short answer is because we're all, well, a lot of us are from the South, but it also stems from the 90s. I grew, I was a kid, I was a little kid in the 90s. And if you're 19 years old now, you have no concept of what the TBS Superstation was. But back in the 90s, TBS was everything for us because we lived in Georgia. I grew up in Georgia now, so I was going to be able to watch the Braves anyway. What I did not fully grasp living in Harris County, Georgia, was people in San Diego and Salt Lake City and Minneapolis and Albany, New York, they were also watching the Braves because TBS was coast to coast. And Ted Turner, since he owned the team, was broadcasting Braves games nationally. Well, that made Atlanta America's team. That's what they were called during the 90s, America's team. It certainly didn't hurt that they were winning the division every year and playing in the World Series pretty much every year. So the whole country, either it was kind of like a New York Yankees thing. When the Braves went on the road, they were polarizing. You either loved them or you hated them. They'd have huge crowds in road ballparks that sell out everywhere they went. Well, I grew up during that era. A lot of folks, I would assume, in the sports writing industry, especially in the college football sector, grew up in that era. And so there's a lot of attachment to the Braves. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's been a while. Myself, I can speak personally. When I was in middle school and high school, I would go to every playoff game. At the time, it was at Fulton County Stadium, then Turner Field. It depresses me to know I've lived through three Brave stadiums, but it is what it is. And so I was, I was there every single year of heartbreak. I could vividly recall being there in the 98 NLCS, in the 2001 NLCS loss, 02 NLDS loss, 03 NLDS loss, 04, 05. I was there every single year. And our year revolved around that. I'm always college football through and through. But Braves were right there too. And so when you saw me uncharacteristically talking a whole lot of something other than college football most recently, it's because this run to the World Series for the Braves, it kind of elicited a lot of that emotion. Because when I was 17 years old, let's just say, and I'm in high school, I don't even know what I would have done if the Braves won a World Series. I don't even know how I would have reacted. I remember being a small kid when they won. But as an adult who kind of understood the gravity of the situation, I don't know how I would have acted. Knowing how emotionally attached I was to that organization at that age, I have no idea. So I was thinking about that the other night, and I was in the office. We did Late Kick Live on Thursday night, and then I was watching the game, and I'm all alone. I'm in a high-rise downtown in Nashville, and our office is empty. We got a huge office, and it's totally empty or so I thought. So I had the game on all the big screen TVs out in one of the main floor offices, and when they won, I mean, I'm celebrating. I'm going crazy. The janitor was there. I didn't know it. The janitor was in there. And the janitor comes in, but didn't say anything. She just kind of walked down the hall and was there. And I normally would be embarrassed by something like that. I didn't even flinch. I just went right back to celebrating. Also, I punched accidentally one of the ceiling tiles because I jumped at out three. And the ceiling, you know, it's not a cathedral ceiling. It's not 15 feet high. 
And so I punched one of the ceiling tiles. And it, it's not broken, but it is dislodged. <laughs> so we, we've been in that building like 15 minutes. So we do have roof damage already, but I really think it's a small price to pay. And I don't know how much ceiling tiles are going for. I know we have supply chain issues. I'm happy to fit the bill for that. If that's the price I had to pay, if that's my personal sacrifice for winning a World Series, I'm fine with it. Uh, look, here's what I need you to do. A couple of things. We are getting close to 2,000 five-star reviews on this podcast. Need them. Need them like I need oxygen. That's the first thing. The second thing, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I had someone come in the comments and say, well, I would subscribe if it were your channel, but it's the 24-7 channel, so they'll flood me with all kinds of things. First off, I'm not exactly sure that's how a YouTube channel works. Secondly, have you guys checked that YouTube channel lately? It's my show and Wilt Fong once a week. We don't put anything else on there. We will have a National Signing Day show in December. We have Wilt Fong's weekly recruiting hit, and we have Late Kick on there. That's what's on the 24-7 YouTube channel. There's not really anything else on there. So please subscribe there, and it doesn't cost anything, and you don't get flooded with anything. I'm not quite sure where that came from. No one sends you junk mail. No one bombards your email inbox. It just helps us to keep the show free, and it helps us to show people in management. The high-level mustaches love those bar graphs and pie charts, and so we want to show them as many impressive bar graphs and pie charts as possible, and you can help me do that. And you always do. I'm just asking you to continue. All right, I got to shoot this over to Producer Jordan. We've got Late Kick Live to do tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for making this the success that it has been. Until later tonight, have yourselves a great Thursday, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.